I'm Brian Carpenter, host of Fresh Air at Five, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to another episode of My Head Tech Life. I am your host, Fons Mendoza. And as always, it is an honor and it is a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you so much, as always, for all of your support, wherever it is that you may be joining us from today. I hope you had a wonderful day today. Maybe for some of you, it's your first day of summer vacation. Maybe some of you are winding down the year. Whatever the time, whatever the season, as always, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm really excited about today's topic, and I'm really excited to have today's guest here. Um, as we were talking in the pre-chat today, I, I, I got to meet Chad, never met him in real life, but I've been a longtime follower of his TikTok account. And yes, I am on TikTok, so you can follow us there too. But definitely check out Chad's account as well. And just the, the posts that he does, very powerful stuff, uh, talks about some great deep things that, and, and uh, starts conversations that maybe a lot of people aren't having. So I'm really excited to have this wonderful educator, this wonderful Army veteran, a writer, and definitely an amazing content creator to the show. And I'm really excited to have you here. Chad Pettit, thank you so much. And welcome to Maya Tech Life. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Fonz. Thank you for having me on. Wow, that introduction had me looking around like, who is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. No, Chad, again, as always, like I mentioned, you know, I, I the mission, the vision, and the passion of Maya Tech Life is really to connect educators and creators one show at a time and giving educators a platform and creators a platform to share what they're passionate about. And you are, sir, are a person that I, you know, when I see your videos and the content that you put out, I can tell that you are very passionate over certain things, well, many things. And I really appreciate the way that you let us into your life into your mind through your account, which again, it's something that's genuine, authentic, honest, uh, family oriented, family related. And most importantly to, like I mentioned, is just the, those conversations and those topics that not many people either talk about a lot or you don't hear about, but things that really cause you to think. So again, I'm really excited about today. But Chad, for those of us, or actually for those audience members that are joining us this evening or those that will watch this show or listen to this show later on that may not be familiar with your work, can you give us a brief introduction and share with us your context in education? Sure. So believe it or not, I haven't actually been in education that long. I started about six years ago. I'm a late bloomer. So I started out after high school. I was in the military for 10 years. I did 10 years in the army, uh, a couple combat tours in Iraq. Uh, after that, I bounced around. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, still don't. And then uh, I finally decided to go back to school, which was difficult because I was 33. So I was the oldest guy in the classroom. Uh, but I finally got back in there and I started really enjoying writing in an academic setting and learning about that. And I noticed this huge problem. Um, all these kids coming out of high school struggled to write. 
And I'm thinking, how, how is it you just graduated and you're not able to write at the college level yet? And so my professors, rather than teaching the content, were spending a lot of time talking about what they were doing or talking about how to write uh, at a college level. So I thought to myself, something's got to be done about this. And so I decided I wanted to be an English teacher and I wanted to teach high school. So that's what I've been doing for about six years now. Uh, just recently finished up my master's degree in English with an emphasis in rhetoric and composition, which was grueling, um, but I really focused on secondary writing instruction. So my thesis is all about uh, teaching secondary writing and assessment without burning the teacher out because the teacher burnout problem is really, really problematic for me. And I was burnt out when I started that. That was the great irony. Um, and through that, I, I figured out some processes that are used at the college level that we can actually bring down to the secondary level. So that was my emphasis. And then I got on TikTok just for fun. I got on there just to have some laughs. My wife said, you'd be great at this stuff. And I'm like, I'll give it a shot. And um, yeah, it just started taking off, man. Yeah. And, and yeah. And like you said, I mean, this is something that is amazing because it's through that platform, which I never thought I would join. But in joining it, I've been able to meet so many wonderful teachers and educators that are out there that are doing some amazing things like, such as yourself. And you described, you know, your your what your hard work that you've done, the late bloomer. And I, you know, what I love about your content, Chad, is that it, it almost feels like we're part of your family per se, I guess, because I mean, we see you, I, I mean, I saw the struggles as you go through teaching, seeing the struggles, you know, going through your masters and all of those things, but you just brought it and brought it to the forefront. And of course the burnout issue, something that sometimes, you know, like I, I appreciate that genuine honesty that in some of your posts, I was like, man, I, I, I wish I can just text him and encourage. And several times, man, I, I would just post on there and like, hey, man, you got this. Like, hey, you keep doing it because, you know, you're just being real into what's out there. And many people kind of try and hide that. And, you know, so I'm really excited about just today's conversation because you have so many different viewpoints and especially, you know, coming out of military, coming into education, like you said, a late bloomer. Uh, learning new things and taking everything that you've learned and putting it into your classroom and investing into students. Um, so we're definitely excited about that. So today I know that the topic that we did select is definitely on getting unstandardized, you know, because we're talking about student intellectual immersion is smothered by assessment. And we all know testing season just happened, you know, and normally I call testing season from January until May is get out of the teacher's way and don't interrupt them in their classroom because it's star, star, star all the way yeah. Monday through Saturday and it's go time. So I'm curious to hear about your first, you know, I guess your first year, your first stint in the classroom. And what was your impression of standardized testing? Oh, man. Um, well, first, I got to apologize. I got things going on. Uh, my phone was ringing and my computer's about to die. So I'm telling my son to bring me my charger. Uh, <laughs> I was prepared for everything else but that. So my first year of teaching, uh, I didn't know what to expect in a lot of things because here's a shocker for a lot of people. Those teacher training programs don't prepare you to teach. 
uh, it's mostly a lot of paperwork involved. And uh, when you take your teacher tests, which are standardized, by the way, they tell you, imagine you're in a perfect world. Well, hold on a second. Bring it in. Yeah, as you said, I'm real. I'm raw. Um, yeah, I live in a real world. I have a real family with real stuff. So, <laughs> hey, it's all good, Chad. Don't even worry about it. Like I said, that's the beautiful thing about just being live and getting this done and everything. So don't worry. Just make sure you charge up your your laptop and everything. We definitely don't want it to go out <laughs> during yeah. the show. Here we go. All right, all set. But again, going to back to what you said, I really enjoyed what you said because, uh, real quick. Coming into education, I came in as this is a second career, but I absolutely fell in love with education and mm -hmm. I did get hired through emergency certification back in the day. And when I took the, the exam, the PPR, the first time around, I did miserably. And the reason was, is because I had already had one year of teaching under my belt. Mm. So when I went in to take the test, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to answer this based on my experience that I had. Big mistake. And big mistake. <laughs> and then I had a, pr a principal friend of mine who said, no, 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 no. That's not the way you take the test. It's just like you described it. Pretend that you were in a perfect situation, a perfect utopia, and then answer that. And I'm like, answer that way. And I'm like, oh, okay. And sure enough, I went in there and pretended that it was a perfect world, even though I knew that, well, this is not the way we do it in our district, but I had to put the answer that was the perfect answer. And sure enough, that's what helped me. <laughs> yeah. And there you go. And that's the problem. So there you have a standardized test. So the PPR test, which was, uh, for me, it was mainly dealing with ESL. And for those that aren't aware of the audience, that's English. English is a second language. Um, most of the questions pertain to that. So when you get into this test, yeah, it's imagine a perfect world. And the same thing when you take your certification for your content, they say, imagine a perfect world. Well, I don't have a perfect world. When I'm in that classroom, there's no such thing. I'm teaching real students in real time. And there's no such thing as this utopia that they're describing and they want. So I have this test that I take that says I'm qualified, but I can't take any of that from that test into the classroom. And there's just an example. And, uh, one of the content creators I follow on TikTok, uh, he, he goes by neuro, neuro D teacher, neurodivergent teacher. He's fantastic. Yes. Um, he's raw. He, he tells you straight up. And one of the things he talks about all, all of the teachers that he came through his training program with that aren't teaching because they couldn't pass these tests doesn't mean they're not qualified. It's just a test. Um, I do terribly when it comes to tests. One year, my principal gave all of the staff a test and it was a standardized test and she gave it to all the teachers. It was for English. Guess who got the lowest score on that test? The English teacher in the room. I got the lowest score on that thing because it's, it's a matter of, I'm thinking this is how it should be. You're trying to tell me what someone else thought. And that's really what it comes down to. Some of those standardized tests. It's a person created the test in their, their way. So you have people with all sorts of weird philosophies, well, if you're in doubt, just select C. Yeah. Um, okay. You, you can't just select C in the real world, Fonz. You can't. Mm -hmm. No. And I agree with you 100% on that. And that I, even myself growing up through, okay, back in the day, it was like uh, the tax, the, the T and uh, so many, you mm -hmm. know, but I, I don't remember in going through my elementary years 
feeling as stressed as I see our children today. Oh. I mean, back in the day, I think I, had, I took the CAT test in elementary, the California Achievement Test, and then it moved to the tax, and then of course the the star and um, there so there and the toss and all of that. But honestly, I don't ever remember being stressed. Like like th there wasn't so much emphasis on those tests. And we, I don't remember ever going worksheet after worksheet after worksheet. And just to pass this test, everything was like, well, this kind of just gives us an idea of where you're at. And then you move on to the next grade and you're good to go. But now it's gone to a different level, to a different extent. And even coming back now from COVID, it's like, no, 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 we got to get scores. We got to get 2019 scores in 2022, mm -hmm. yet pandemic happened. Kids were out. It was a transition year from brick and mortar to online. And now it's a transition year from online to brick and mortar. And it's go time. We demand those yeah. results. We want the same thing that we had prior. And I'm thinking to myself, we're killing our teachers here. We're killing our students here. Yeah. It's too much. It is death by test. It is insane seeing the amount of stress. Uh, I have my own children. I also have uh, students, obviously, and I see the stress in them over these tests, and it's it's insane. And the burnout. So when we take like a district benchmark, they're not even trying on those things. It, it, and the first thing you want to know: Does this count? If it doesn't count towards the grade, they're checked out. And you know, research backs this up. As soon as you attach a grade to an assessment, you you take away the learning. So if you, let's say you want to do something with revision, all right? Um, let's say, for example, we have my students write an essay, all right? They turn that into me first draft, and now I'm going to assess it. And I put a letter grade on there, and I say, this is a C, all right? And I give feedback, and I say, here are the things that I noticed. Rather than that person thinking about, here are the issues with my writing, all they're going to see is, here are the things I need to get an A. So they're not going to think about, here's what I need to do to improve my writing, and there's no transfer. They're only focused on the grades. That's the problem with standardization. It becomes a focus solely on grades. And so as soon as they find out that test doesn't matter towards their grade or towards their graduation, they're done. They're completely checked out. Uh, and we see that in a lot of test results. And, you, you know, I've posted about this on TikTok, and you just go through and read the comments on some of my posts. Uh, I have one viral video where I talked about the fact that Students don't try sometimes. Some students don't try on these tests. And yet, school funding and teacher pay is directly tied to the results of those tests. And you'd be shocked to see the amount of people that came on there and said, I never tried on those tests. I don't try. It's not for a grade. Doesn't affect my graduation. Why would I bother? And yet, because of the No Child Left Behind Act and because of the Race to the Top program, those tests directly influence our pay, school funding. And the lower your scores, the more funding they take away from the schools, which is the most backwards thing I have ever come across in my life. And we have like this Mandela effect going on where we think it's always been this way and it hasn't. No. You go back and you look, you're 2001. That's when everything really started changing. Um, I didn't take a standardized test when I graduated in 1998 from Oregon, uh, from an Oregon high school. I didn't take any benchmark tests to get out of high school. None of that. I don't remember them. I never wrote a five paragraph essay. I'd never heard of a five paragraph essay until I was 33 years old. Yeah, no, I agree with you. We, 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 I graduated in 99. I don't remember taking a test. I remember 
I guess ninth grade was the most memorable for me because it was like, oh, the 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 10th graders are taking a test and you can't be here. So we didn't have to go to school till like later that day. But again, going back, I don't remember there ever being that much pressure at all whatsoever. Graduated fine, no issues at all. But now it's like test after test, you've got the star benchmarks. Again, once kids hear benchmark, they put so much weight on benchmark and it, they, you know, it's what the first two months of school and they expect already everybody to be like at masters or be at this level. And then the next benchmark and it's just drill, drill, drill just to pass a test. But like you said, what happens to our students that are not A, B, C, D, E students? What happens there? This test is not flexible and it does not measure their learning. And oftentimes when I was in the classroom for those 11 years, I always had to start the class and start, you know, talking to my kids and saying, this does not define who you are. This is just a test. Do not let this get you down. And then when I moved to elementary to fifth grade and having to share that with my kids, you know, there I'm like, I'm telling fifth graders already having, giving them this high school speech to get them ready. And, you know, I, I just, it just didn't make sense. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. It's sad. It really is. And the thing is, you know, teachers like you, teachers like me, we say these things uh, to students. We say this test doesn't define you. Unfortunately, there's a lot of research out there and statistics to prove that a lot of teachers are putting a ton of pressure on their students. You've got to do well on this. You've got to do well on this. You've got to do well on this. And the students are just completely petrified. Um, it's It's insane to me. And, you know, these tests don't define them. And you said they're not flexible. And that's a really, really good point. These tests are not flexible. Um, you know, I'm not against assessment. But when we talk about assessment, assessment should inform instruction. It's not something that sh there should be two types of assessment. You've got formative assessment, which is not all about the grade. It's about understanding where the student is and where I need to take the student. Maybe they've already got it. How do I enrich their learning? If they don't have it, how do I get them to where they need to go? How do I scaffold? For the students, uh, then you have an evaluative, which is summative in nature. And that's at the end. In these school districts, we have it all messed up. We're counting formative and summative as evaluative the, the entire time. Why are we putting impact grades on rough drafts? Why are we putting impact grades on homework and all these things that should not be uh, emphasizing, you know, that's another, why are we doing homework anyway? We can talk about later, that later if you want, but um, there's no flexibility. And the buzzword in education is differentiation. We got to differentiate. We got to meet every learner where they are. So for nine months, we're differentiating instruction, we're differentiating assessment, and then we're going to assess them all on one test with no flexibility. And some of them don't even get the accommodations. And, and, and can we just talk about the fact they're not even equitable? No, I agree with you 100%. As a matter of fact, you know, having a conversation, you know, talking about inflexibility too, you as a teacher, you pour yourself out to the students. You've got your curriculum. You've got the pressure that comes with preparing the students for the test. And all of that starts with third grade teachers, third all the way up. So kids are testing from third all the way to ninth grade. And again, talking about not being flexible, you invest yourself in the students and then let's say that that student has a bad day that morning because we don't know what their home life is. The test does not measure what their home life, uh, you know, is happening right there. They're, the, the anxiety, the mental health, the language barriers, all of that. But of course, you know, they don't, this, the, the 
standardized tests don't take into account those personal factors that can really, really affect a child and in their, their learning process. But, you know, it's inflexible. And whatever they get there, we're talking about how it does define who they are in that sense, because now it's like, okay, well, that student's now going to receive this type of label. And this student now is going to be labeled for the rest of their, you know, schooling until they get out. And now you've changed that child's mentality stating, well, he's not good at math. So, you know, mm -hmm. he's not going to go into math or he, he's not good at reading or they're not good at this. They're not good at that. And so you've already started shaping what that child is going to do. And to me, that really hurts, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's putting a label on them. Just like you say, just prematurely, it's, it's putting them into a box and that box doesn't need to be there in the first place. Um, you know, my dad is a fantastic mechanic, but you know how I know he's a fantastic mechanic because I've never seen him work on something he couldn't fix. I've never seen him put together an engine that didn't run. Never seen him try to fix a car that didn't start running. I don't know how well he'd do on a multiple choice quiz about how to fix a car. I don't want my doctor to have C's on tests or A's on tests, but doesn't know what a scalpel is, you know, and, and think about it. The way doctors are actually assessed is so different. They go into, uh, they have to go through the schooling, obviously, but then they're interns. They're observing, they're asking questions, then they're being supervised as they're doing any kind of operations before they're ever allowed to do any operations on their own. They have been through a ton of practical training, practical assessment, not here's a piece of paper that says you can do this and you can't do this. And that piece of paper defines it. You know, if we continue to define uh, people based on just a test score, then we're going to continue to put labels on people. And that's what happened to me when I was a student. I had a math teacher who was just absolutely awful in my freshman year of high school. I mean, he was a deplorable person. He got fired for some of the things he was doing, just a disgusting human. Uh, and he would not teach us. He would not help us. And if you ask for help, he would ridicule you, publicly shame you. And I don't mean like sarcasm. I mean, just tear you down. And he just flat out told me, you're never going to be good at math. You're not smart enough for this. And so I gave up. And since ninth grade, I never even tried. And when I got to college, all I could remember is I'm no good at math. Um, and that sticks with you. And we don't realize that. But I mean, honestly, we just dehumanize these kids. All these things I'm talking about are human characteristics, human traits. And we want these kids to be robots. Yeah. Um, and you talk about what if that kid's having a bad day? Well, a lot of times we're not considering the fact that what if when you're having a bad day, what do you want to do? You want to take a break, get a cup of coffee, go for a walk. When these kids are having a bad day, we tell them, sit in that chair, shut up, and don't do anything for the next hour, two hours, whatever. Or if they're having that test, what if their parents got divorced that day? What if they were in an abusive situation right before? But we're worried about how they score on this test. They're thinking, what am I going to do when I get home? You know, you've got kids that are living out of cars. They don't know where they're going to shower. They don't have running water. These are the things that we need to focus on. Uh, and, and just like Catherine said right there, those tests don't prove anything. They do not prove anything, honestly. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And, and let's shift that over now onto the teachers. You know, I oftentimes, you know, the, the metrics, you know, they're unfair metrics for teacher evaluation too as well. Yeah. I mean, that to me is when I see teachers that are stressed out, because 
now it's it's gone to the point of if I don't do well here with the group that I'm given, and let's say that it may be a group that is a very tough group, I could risk either getting moved to a different grade level that I may not feel comfortable with, but now if I want to keep my job, I need to make that adjustment or other things. So what are your thoughts on that? Or maybe have you experienced that or have you, or anybody around you experienced anything like that? So I can say, honestly, that I'm, I'm fortunate enough to say that my job hasn't been impacted based on my test scores. Uh, and I don't know anyone personally that has uh, lost their job or anything like that. But at the same time, the state of Texas, Texas Education Agency, uh, they see those low test scores. They're going to get involved. They're going to step in and they're going to say, now your school's at risk uh, and you get a grade. So your school, your district you get a letter grade. And so they come in and if you have a grade of C or D or something like that, they're going to come in and they're going to put all sorts of restrictions. But all they're basing it on, again, is these standardized tests. But the answer to tests cannot be more tests. And you can't put more pressure on a person and say, do better. I mean, you put someone in the most stressful situation and you keep yelling at them and yelling at them and yelling at them, they're going to get stressed and they're going to make mistakes. And when we make the mistakes, we're, we're not given the opportunity to do anything to relax, to de-stress. And the pressure just continuously on with these, these tests. Uh, and teachers are being pressured. So many studies have been done, uh, especially like in Florida. A lot of uh, research and composition specialists, they, they work out of the uh, Florida state and, and kind of in that area. And what they found is teachers, particularly in core subjects, ninth and 10th grade, we're teaching 100% to the test. So while they might have, sa might have said, here are the things we're teaching, they weren't. The evidence was quite to the opposite. They were teaching 100% in line with the test. So for example, in ninth grade, they were teaching response to text and expository writing in an English course. The problem with that, that's not in alignment with the state standards. So for example, in the state of Texas, I can only speak for this, but I think it's pretty, pretty across the board. You're supposed to write multiple drafts for diverse audiences and purposes. Now, that's all rhetorical situation. There's no audience on a standardized test. There's no time. There's no uh, multiple drafts. You're writing one draft in a time situation. You don't get to revise. You don't get to edit. And then you are basing a student's ability to uh, revise and edit on multiple choice questions rather than having them actually revise and edit. So again, they don't measure anything, but the teacher's got to anticipate what's going to be on the test. So if I do teach the test, which I don't, I have to imagine what's going to be on that test. And as soon as I do, as soon as I try to teach to that thing, inevitably, my students are going to be more flawed in that one. Yeah. So for example, the year I focused the most on theme in my first year and in inferencing, guess what they did really terribly on? Theme and inferencing, even though I spent most of my time putting on it because they'd said from the data at the district, our students need to understand inferencing. So that to me makes no sense. The less I focused on it, the better they got at inferencing. But can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you think inferencing can be measured based on what someone's reading alone? No, I don't think I, so. I don't either. 
So I'll give you an example of how I know that everybody just naturally knows how to make inferences. Baby is born. You feed the baby. Baby cries. You feed the baby. Baby stops crying. Now, for a week, once the kid's old enough to sit down, we're going to put that baby in a high chair. As soon as the baby's in that high chair, we're going to bring food. Begins to associate. So the baby stops crying when it goes in the high chair because it knows food's coming. Instead of crying, it makes that (laughs) anticipation. That baby is inferencing. What we do in standardized education is we remove the high chair, we remove the food, and we look at the baby and we say, what's coming? That's what standardized testing does. We know how to, our students know how to inference. They can catch a sarcastic joke. They can catch innuendos. They make innuendos all the time. If you've ever been around middle school and high school kids, that's all they do. But they can't when it comes to reading a text. Why? Because the person who made that test has decided to interpret it one particular way. That's a problem. Yeah. And, you know, I agree with that 100% in the fact that there's, especially in mathematics, and actually it's for any subject, and there's companies out there that offer what they call, a, oh my gosh, I can't, field guides. And really, they, they pretty much just tell you, okay, this year, this was tested, and this is how the state did, this is how you did. This year, this was tested. This year, this was tested. So if you're pretty good at math, and, 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 I mean, and I'm just only speaking as a math teacher, you can kind of tell, it's like, okay, where is TEA headed this year, and how are they going to? Mm-hmm. Uh, test this particular teak in a certain way and then you have to let teachers know and say hey get ready for this well no i've never seen them do it that way and i've never seen any test do it that way and now it's like you're kind of playing a lottery and it's a crapshoot is it are they going to test it this way or are they going to ask it this way and now we've got to do the prep and now it may be over prep and then at the end they may not test it that way or they yeah. may test it in a way that is completely different than what was once thought because they they just came up with something different. Yeah. And so now, you know, talking and again, I'm only speaking for Texas, but I'm pretty sure you saw the the new uh, I mean the the I don't know if you if you got to te- do the field test or the way that new platform looks and I'm like wow like you know the through our the website and the the it's, practice one that they had yeah, I'm just like it, come on it's really clunky yeah and and switching everybody to online and like my my son came home and he was really frustrated he said dad I only had an hour to take my test um what are you talking about and he was talking about one of the four hour tests so like math is four hours biology yeah. is four hours right. Uh, history and he said yeah we only had an hour because it took them three hours to get the wi-fi working I'm like, how is that not reported as an error that should have stopped the test automatically it should have been a we, we do a retest but they just pushed them through so so you're telling me state of texas that my son's edu- educational status is based on your wi-fi and, and you know what you're talking about is is nail 100 on the head Teachers are playing a guessing game as to what's actually on the test. We don't know. We're not allowed to know. So you want our students to perform well on the tests. You don't want us to teach to the test. You're not going to tell us what's on the test. And you say they're aligned to the standards, but we can prove 100% for sure they're not aligned to the standards. I just did with the revised and and edit example. Um, You know, but if what we try to do is teach critical thinking, right? Uh, and, and I posted a video about this and, and people took it the wrong way. I posted a video and of course it was, it's like a TikTok trend. This is me knowing my students did well or whatever. 
uh, and anybody who knows me knows I'm not an arrogant person, knows I'm not a humble person, and knows that I don't think I had any effect on whether or not those kids were going to crush that test. Did I? I don't know. Um, but I posted saying that I taught critical thinking skills, did not teach to the test, and I had the highest scores in the state of Texas. 99% passing rate. And people just thought I was just being so arrogant, cocky, and everything. And, you know, so I finally ended up just making it a friends-only post. That's not what I was doing. I was proving a point by not teaching to the test. My students were more successful and all people could do was try to take the credit away from my students and, and, and say all these negative and horrible things about me, things about my students. This is where we are. We're so divided now because of this thing. We've got teachers that are so stressed out, so worried about teaching to the test, students stressed out. It's, we've, we've added on to the already existing mental health crisis in this country. And it is, you know, so this is where I see the intersection. So why as an educator would I talk about mental health issues? Because COVID did nothing but expose how bad it really is and create more. So we've got all these people going through these mental health issues. We're not addressing them. We're just saying back to the testing, back to the testing, back to the testing. All we care about is scores. Those are not scores. Those are students. Those are people. Those are humans with real lives, real problems. Yeah, I do get kind of passionate about this. No, no, but I love it. And and you know what? I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that post because when I saw that post, I was like, yes, because I get where you're coming from. I get it. And I don't know oftentimes if it's because I come, I don't come from that education background as far as going to look through the College of Ed. You didn't go through the College of Ed. Maybe, it, I mean, did you go through the College of Ed or no? No, I got no, an alternative certification. Alternative, same thing with me. And, you know, my great friend, uh, Matthew Woods, once said, you know, there's something different about, and, and again, I don't want to take or discredit teachers at all whatsoever, but it's, they said, you know, you guys have a different view of the classroom and because we see things differently and so on. And so when you put that post up, I knew exactly what you meant because that's the way I was in my classroom. I never taught to the test, yet my students were very successful. And now what worries me, like you were saying, it's, it's you see in the classroom, teachers are going through the last five years, five-year tests, you know, whatever, 2018, 2019, 20, and that becomes almost their curriculum you know and and that's what concerns me where again you're just you're teaching to the test but where are the creative components where are those soft skills or the creativity yeah. in the classroom amplify creativity allowing the students to use tech follow their passions and integrate what they're already doing or what they need to do based on the teaks, but make it something that is relevant to them something that is going to hook them something that they're going to be passionate about but those skills are transferable skills that they can go ahead and take on a test. And I think that they will do well, but we put so much pressure. And then after that, it's like, okay, what platform are we going to buy or get and pay for thousands of dollars for to help remedy the situation? Who are we going to bring in to help remedy the situation? And, you know, now it becomes on spending. We're yeah. going to spend more to give more tests, like you said. Yeah. And so where, where is that going to lead us to? Exactly. You know, it's, it's a multi, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Even the nonprofit testing agencies still have to net a lot of profit because they have to pay the people that work there. They have to pay for the resources. Um, 
I mean, like you say, districts are paying $5,000 for some consultant just to show up, right? And then we're going to buy all the books that the consultant hawks at the, at the professional development meeting. And I'm not against people writing books. That's fine. Um, but we're going to pay for the software now and it's supposedly going to work. Well, that's all well and good until it doesn't work. But if we look at the nation's report card, we know it's not working. The scores are not changing since 1992 to 2001 when you had the No Child Left Behind to 2019. No change. The gaps are still there. They're the same gaps. And guess what? They're the same gaps across ethnicity, race, culture, you name it, the same gaps. Nothing's changed. Uh, so teaching to the test apparently is not working. And people say, well, I'm not going to teach the test. But then you say, well, I have to teach the test. And in fact, some are forced. They have no choice. The curriculum is given to them. You will not deviate. They actually have a script they have to follow. And their observation is someone coming in and marking off where they failed to uh, follow the script. I mean, word for word. So they go off the script and that script is designed to make sure that the kids pass the test. But you'd think that would make the test scores go up. But the nation's report card reflects the exact opposite. It's not making any changes. And here's the real clincher. Graduation rates steadily going up across the nation, especially Texas. Texas has a high graduation rate, right? And that's our claim to fame. We're proud of that. The only issue is, you know what's also on the rise? Students entering developmental classes in their freshman year of college. And the really horrible statistic that follows that, anyone who goes into a developmental class in college is 40% more likely to not finish that degree. So all of these statistics point to one thing. Standardized testing is failing us. It's not the fact that we're assessing is failing us. We have to assess, but the assessment is not informing instruction. I get that data in May, but I don't have any data that I can actually use with my students until the next school year. They're gone. And now I'm teaching a new subject with a different test. Yeah. No, no, no. I agree with you 100%. It's like, it's almost like this is in the past. This already happened. What am I supposed to do with this? I'm going to have a different set of kids that's going to be completely different than what this data says. But yet, because I did bad on this teak, I need to improve on this teak. But maybe that's not the teak that they need for, right. for this particular class. Um, I put in a link into the chat. There's a gentleman, Alfie Cohn. Uh, so I put in a, the chat. It's alfiecone.org. But this is what he had to say in this article, and the article uh, is standardized testing victims. That's what it's called. And, you know, talking about this as far as uh, he has a, a quote here that says, guess who can afford better test preparation? It says, when the stakes rise, people seek help anywhere they can find it, and companies eager to profit from this dis- desperation by selling test prep materials and services have begun to appear on the scene, most recently tailoring their products to state exams. Naturally, affluent families, schools, and districts are better able to afford such products and the most effective versions of such products, thereby exacerbating the inequity of such testing. Moreover, when poorer schools do manage to scrape together the money to buy these materials, it's often at the expense of books and other educational resources that they really need. So... Very important, very interesting stuff. So definitely check out that article because he definitely posts a lot of other things here that are really just tied into this conversation. And this article uh, was written back in 2000, September 27, (laughs) 2000. And we're still 
seeing this today. This is still relevant today. So, yeah. I mean, we need to definitely change that. Well, definitely. I mean, first of all, I love Alfie Cohen. He talks a lot about uh, grades and stuff. You, sh you should check his, yeah. his stuff out when it comes to that. Just, just a fantastic individual, uh, really insightful. But this is exactly the problem. And we, I mentioned earlier inequity. Um, you, you, you have to either books or test prep materials. We're going to test for the prep for this material, but again, the scores stay the same. And it's just, you know, I don't mean to get on a conspiracy theory bandwagon. Like I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat here. Okay. I'm grounded in reality, but if the test scores go up like a lot, now we don't really need anything new from these companies that are selling these products. We don't need the consultants. We don't need their books. We don't need their software. So it's almost like it's a benefit to them if those test scores stay the same. And we've already shown that these tests are not aligned to the state standards. We're already showing that they're not developmentally ready for college. Come on, let's just be honest. Those kids show up, they graduate high school, and it's an accomplishment, but they walk into a college class and they're lost. And that's the reality. And that test is doing nothing to help us with that. And we've got data from the year before. And so, well, you can use last year's data for these kids this year. They've had a whole summer. They're doing different materials. So in ninth grade, we have expository writing in the state of Texas and most states. And in 10th grade, we have argumentative writing. It's a totally different thing. In seventh grade in the state of Texas, they're doing narrative, personal narrative. Eighth grade, they're not even assessed on their writing. There is zero consistency across the board in this system. Uh, and a really good question here from, from John. If we're so interested in data, why aren't we looking at the data regarding how standardized testing is benefiting our students? Exactly. Why aren't we looking to see if it's really doing something for us? People keep saying, you know, all the time, the buzzword, the buzz phrase in education, show me the data, show me the data. What are you looking at? To show you that these tests even matter. And I'm, again, not trying to cause waves. Well, I am trying to cause waves, but I'm not trying to say get rid of assessment. What I'm saying is let's use real assessment, authentic assessment. Test the doctor by having the doctor perform surgery, but through a gradual release of responsibility. You want to know if these kids can write? Give them a writing assignment with a specific rhetorical situation. You want to know if these kids can do math? Let's not give them the multiple choice options. This is how you're going to set your budget for the month. Use the skills we've taught you in here. Set your budget. But nobody wants to do that. It'd be too much work to assess it. We need a computer to assess it quickly. It's faster. And we don't make the money that way. But I'm telling you right now, Fonz, if we just got rid of standardized testing, we'd have billions of dollars of resources. We'd have all sorts of material, man hours, time, money set aside, saved, spared that we could pour into having assessment teams on campuses, creating localized, rhetorically situated, uh, genre-based assessments, and things. all the things that people say, well, they're not teaching practical skills in school. It's because you won't let us. If you let us, we will, but you want us to worry about this test. And I've never met a single educator, single parent, single student that like these tests. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I mean, and even I was talking about, you know, always, always love to talk about the future of learning, the future of work. I mean, when I got into the workforce, ABCDE doesn't cut it. It's like improvise, adapt and overcome. Critical thinking, you're, you're like, you got to go. You, you don't have yeah. a choice. And then, um, you know, when I started my master's and I did my master's, everything is portfolio based. There were yeah. never any exams. Everything was, here's a project tie it to your real job or your real world situation 
and you're going to find a solution and then you're going to go ahead and submit it. And that was it. Here's your rubric. This is what we're looking for, you know, as long as it meets these requirements and so on. And at the end, I had a beautiful portfolio with all my master's coursework. And that was my final project. I just submitted Mm -hmm. my portfolio. That's it. Another thing and another story that I want to share real quick is two semesters ago, taking a doctoral course, my doctoral uh, professor decided to spice things up a bit. And rather than just do strictly lecture, she said, hey, guys, I'm going to do something different and I'm going to give you a choice board. You're going to have five things that you can choose from as long as it equals 21 contact hours. I'm in here with people that are already administrators, have been doing this for a long time, Um, you know, principals, um, you've got directors and so on. The look on their face, I was happy. I was joyous because, wow, a choice board doctoral program where I get to choose what I want. But you should have seen the horror on some of those faces where they just had no clue what to do because... They're so used to being told what to do, like it's A, B, C, or D. And it it was just like, wow. So that was kind of a picture for me of like, what are we doing to our young kids from age, from grade level three and up, you know, and, and, and that's just really scary. Yeah, absolutely. And so there, there are two phrases that I want to, that I want to bring up and, uh, I am absolutely forgetting the person who, who came up with these phrases, but it's in the research. Um, there is a difference between answer seeking and solution seeking. And what we're creating through the standardized testing is generations of people who are answer seeking. They want the answer. How many paragraphs do you want me to write? How many sentences in each paragraph? Uh, how many words in a sentence? How many of these? Uh, okay, how many math problems do I have to do for my homework? Uh, how many dates do I have to memorize in social study? Answer seeking, okay? So there, and there, the quiz is, have you taken a history? So I was fortunate enough to go through history recently. So I graduated in 2016 with my bachelor's. I just recently finished my master's. So when I went through my history courses, the tests were just Quizlet drop-ins and all you had to do was find the answers in the textbook. I mean, it was verbatim out of the textbook. And so what is that promoting? Answer seeking versus what you're talking about, a choice board versus my thesis, what I worked on, it was problem and solution seeking. Say, so my problem was teachers are burnout. We're very, very undertrained in teaching, writing, and instruction. We don't know how to properly align instruction with assessment. How do we solve this problem? And that was my entire master's degree. It was all about problem solving. Uh, In the 90s, and that's when I was in high school, we didn't have the things that we do now. So I took a keyboarding class. And the printer was one of those old school printers with like the ribbons on each side and the perforated pages. And it would break. And our instructor, the teacher would not just say, um, oh, here, let me fix it. He wouldn't even get up from his desk. We'd say, sir, the, the printer's down. He'd say, figure it out. And he would tell us to troubleshoot. And we had to figure it out. Uh, and there were a lot of things like that. And the, we have rescued these kids rather than let them struggle. I don't mean let them drown. I mean, let them struggle and help them through the struggle. We have just rescued them. We got to jump in. Um, and that's all standardized testing is and standardized education. It's, it's just forming a society that is answer seeking versus a society that is problem uh solution seeking and case in point google 
we used to, I used to love the arguments. You know, you'd be around with your friends being like, who was in that one movie? And nobody knew. And so we'd talk about it and go back and forth and back and forth. No, it was this guy. It was then no, it was that guy. And then finally we'd watch the movie. I'm like, oh, that was the guy. Now, 10 seconds into the argument, somebody's Googled the answer. There's no more troubleshooting anymore. But life is troubleshooting. When you are on the job, you're going to have to learn how to troubleshoot. Any educator, when your lesson plan falls apart, if you don't know how to troubleshoot and figure something out on the fly, you're done. Uh, in the military, trust me, in those combat situations, everything that you've learned falls apart once the bullets start flying and you've got to figure out how to troubleshoot. Every job I've worked has had that component. Doctors, nurses, lawyers, everyone has that troubleshooting component and we're creating an education system that is taking away the troubleshooting, taking away the problem solution seeking. It's just turned into, here are the answers, figure it out. And that's, that's why I don't even use multiple choice anymore. I hate it. I can't stand multiple choice. No, I agree with you 100%. And one thing that I wanted to add too, you know, because of your military background in 2013, I think, and I was already, I think maybe in my fifth year of teaching, six year teaching, I was in the classroom for 11 years, but that would, to me was the, the year that like everything just kind of shifted for me because at that time I was teaching at a charter school and I had a friend who ex-military Marine, and he used the words improvise, adapt, and overcome. And for me, that was the thing that I started applying in my teaching where you said, when that lesson plan falls apart, you've got to be able to improvise, adapt and overcome and you're ready. And it's like you said, like it's combat. You need to bring it back, bring the kids back in and reel them in and just say, okay, we're going to go ahead and shift this. It didn't quite work this way. Let's kind of continue and let's go and, and but just continue moving forward. Um, the other thing that I wanted to add to as well, as far as the, the state exams too, kind of left my mind because <laughs> we kind of, kind of lost it there, but you had mentioned something about the, okay. Yes. The, the exams, how now I wanted to add, you know, there are like 48 questions or 40 some questions and you only need like 21 to pass, you mm -hmm. know? And so I'm thinking, and yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I was like, oh, so 21 is passing out of 48 and you're good with that, but yet it, yeah. they're making it difficult enough to where students can't even get like the, you know, 21 questions or that high level of stress and that anxiety causes them not to do fairly well on those exams. And that to me, I'm like, wow, like th this is just terrible. You know, what situation are we putting our students in now? Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, think about it. Okay, so at the speed limit, I remember in the 90s, this, in the 80s, the speed limit on most highways, 55. Uh, cars started getting better, faster, um, more dependable. They increased the speed limits, right? And everybody, when it was 55, was going 60. So they increased it to 60. Now everybody's going 65. They increased it to 65. You see where this is going, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, now we're going to tell everybody 75 is passing. Nobody's shooting for 100. They're shooting for 75. And is that acceptable? Do you want the doctor who's okay at transplants, who missed one or two veins, but for the most part, he can get it in there? Do you want the mechanic that has some bolts left on the ground when you're done? That's, that's not acceptable to me. We're, we're creating assessments that are just automatically just, just enough, you know, and, and it's, it's like that in a lot of places. Um, you know, I took the ASVAB as a 18 year old kid in 1998. They told me, you need a 50 to get this signing bonus. Okay. Now, I was in the middle of midterm exams. They pulled me out of school, put me in a car, and drove me an hour and a half to Portland, Oregon, 
And I walked into MEPS. The test had already started. They walked me in there. The recruiter said, you need a 50 to get the signing bonus. I said, cool. I was the first one out of that testing room, even though I was the last one to enter. Guess what I got? A 52. I knew exactly what I needed. That's what I shot for. And that was, that was back in, in the 90s. But we're talking about uh, it's just gotten worse. And we're, we keep lowering the standards, but making it harder to achieve the standards at the same time. And then we're going to come in. We're going to judge the teacher, teachers based on that. And just make, and on top of that, let's just pile as much crap as we possibly can onto them so they can't even do their job in the first place. And then when it all falls apart, we'll blame the teachers and we'll bring in a consultant that's going to save us. Instead of saying, teachers, what can we do to fix this? No one wants to know what teachers think. No, no, they don't. Well, Chad, I mean, it's been a great conversation. I know we can continue going on and on and on. Uh, so I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate the passion that you came with. I really appreciate you having these conversations and, get, you know, having your viewpoint. And I'm glad that you would consider this a platform also to continue to share your work, to share your voice in, you know, what we were talking about today. You know, let's get unstandardized. And uh, I really appreciate your time. And I have been sharing during the chat, been sharing ways that people can connect with you. I've shared your website, shared your TikTok account, Instagram, Twitter, so all of those places. So please make sure that you connect with Chad Pettit, amazing content creator, just an amazing teacher. He definitely amazing uh, viewpoints. And of course, follow him on TikTok where he definitely talks a lot about those topics that a lot of people don't like to talk about, which is this, you know, teacher burnout, standardized testing, mental health as well. And I wish we could have touched on so much more, Chad, but this is me inviting you to possibly another show at a later date and time so we can continue having this conversation. But I really appreciate you being here. All right. Uh, Chad, anything else that you'd like to say, you know, to our audience members? I want to thank John, Stephanie. Uh, we also have Amy that are here also as well that were joining in on the chat. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Chad, any parting words? Yeah, I, I want to say thank you so much for having me on. It was amazing. Um, and I want to say to the people in the chat, especially Stephanie, Amy, some of, the, some of my biggest supporters, and John, I just saw that you followed me on Twitter, and I thank you so much for that. Uh, I'd love to come back on any time. And I will just say this. If you're an educator in whatever capacity, do not let the state of education as it is define you and define the path you're going to take. Uh, people say there's no way we're ever going to change anything. If that's your attitude, then you're right. And if you take that into a classroom with my students are never going to get this, you're correct. You've already decided for them. I've decided we can make change and we're going to make change. And if it takes us a long time, it takes us a long time, but we're going to do it. We're going to make change. We're going to keep talking. We're going to keep doing it. And so, yeah, come along for the ride. And I don't just talk about this stuff on TikTok. We have a lot of fun, man. We have a lot yeah. of fun. Awesome. Well, I mean, I, and I'm so sorry that I cut you off already. I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, I didn't even get to do my favorite part of the show too, which is the last three questions I love to ask my guests, but it's because the conversation was just so intense. And I was like, I got to ask about this. And I think maybe this might be the answer to one of those questions. But number one, Chad, I always like to ask three, the last three questions to my guests uh, before we cut out. And number one question is currently, in the state of education, and I know we just had this conversation here, but what would you say right now is your current edu kryptonite? Edu kryptonite. Oh wow, um, it's bureaucracy. Yeah, the people outside of the classroom are deciding what happens in the classroom, 
without ever coming in to talk to us. And they're, they're, they are, they've hamstringed us. All right. Excellent. Good answer. Okay. Next question. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? A billboard with anything on it. Students are not test scores. No, let's, let, no, let's see. To prepare students for the real world, we need to treat them like real people. Um, right. And, you know, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to fail every time. Nice, nice, nice. All right, Chad. And the, we'll have the beard oh, on there. The we'll beard. have the beard yeah. on there. Yeah, definitely has to have the beard. <laughs> uh, and the next one, Chad. And I know that I think you're, were you going to be starting a podcast soon or is that already going on right now? Yeah, so I'm going to be doing that over the summer. It's going to be called Educa Education Reclaimed. Uh, we're going to be talking about these issues and more. I'm going to have a lot of guests on. We're going to just highlight all the issues that are in education. Uh, I'm hoping to get some of those politicians on to talk about what we can do. I'm uh, hoping, hoping to talk to administrators, everybody. We're going to have real conversations. Uh, and anybody who's followed me knows that I'm not about the arguing and trashing. I'm about the conversation. So um, yeah, that's hopefully by the end of summer, I'll be releasing my first episode. No promises, but that's my goal. All right. Well, let's put because this last question goes along with that. So let's pretend this was your show tonight. All right. So this is your first show and I was your guest on your show. What would be one question you'd like to ask me? Question. Okay. So Fonz. If you could impact education, but you only have one opportunity, there's only one thing you can do. What are you going to do to create the most positive impact on education? Remove standardized testing. <laughs> Thank you. Correct answer, sir. <laughs> yes. Remove standardized testing for sure. I, I, for me, it, I want students, I'm all about creativity and amplifying creativity and to have students start getting that removed from them from third grade all the way to ninth grade. And finally, maybe their, you know, sophomore, junior year, senior year, again, taking up some creativity if they do have a teacher that is willing to help them amplify creativity and tie their passions in to their lessons and allow the students to really just explore and tie, you know, the learning to something that's relevant to them. I am all about that. And I wish that that would continue going on from third grade all the way to 12. Now, don't get me wrong. There are pocket of innovative teachers that are pockets of innovative teachers out there doing this, but it's not consistent where maybe the student has a great, great, um, you know, teacher, maybe let's say fifth grade, and then they move on to six and then there's nothing there. Then they go on to seventh and then there's nothing there. And then maybe eighth, maybe something there. And so there needs to be more consistency with that. And for me, the solution to make the biggest impact on that and, and really just bring that creativity and, and bring and really connect students to learning. It's just to simply remove all of this, remove all of this and allow the students to learn in a way that they are willing to learn, that they are excited about learning and that they're excited to come to school because of what they're going to get to do and learn and not just learn A, B, C, D, E. Intrinsic motivation. Exactly. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, Chad, thank you so much. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. Again, huge fan of your work, huge fan of your platforms and everything that you put out. Thank you so much again. And for sure, we'll definitely schedule something for a later time. That way we are, you know, in a couple of months, have you come back on and then we can follow up the conversation with uh, maybe either continue talking about teacher burnout or we can talk about, you know, definitely the mental health issue that goes that goes hand in hand with that. But uh, thank you again, as always. And for all of you that are watching, listening live, thank you so much for joining us here. Those of you that are going to be catching the replay or listening to the show at a later time. As always, I really appreciate your support. And as you know, the mission, the vision and the passion of my EdTech life is to bring in uh, and connect educators and creators one show at a time so that way we can continue making those changes in education and continue to move the needle forward and making it a better environment, not only for teachers, but for students as well. So thank you as always for your support. Please make sure you check out our website at myedtech.life where you can go ahead and check out our store. You can check out past episodes, drop us a line, give us a review. We wanna hear from you. Let us know what we're doing well. Let us know what we can improve on. Let us know if you have any guest ideas or suggestions. Please feel free to reach out at any time on all our socials. We're always here to listen. And thank you as always again for your support. But until next time, my friends, as always, don't forget, stay techie, my friends.